Today, I talk about a show that's been going on since 1982. Similar to Scooby-Doo, it's seen a number of reincarnations on the big and small screens. In every version, the formula more or less remains the same. The main character is a bit of a dim-witted, clumsy, and rather gullible character, while minor characters try to desperately help him from afar. The main character does manage to save the day, but only purely by luck and because of the aforementioned hidden assistance. We had every reason to hate this guy. I mean, a guy who takes the credit while others who did all of the hard work just go unthanked. Uh, but in the end, we ended up loving him and his companions. Was it because of the talented voice actors who helped bring these characters to life? Or maybe it was the stellar and often criminally underrated music composed by 80s cartoon music guru Shuki Levy. Or perhaps it was a combination of both. Join me as I try to figure that out and more as I take a look back at... Inspector Gadget. I'm John Carlo Danubio, and this is The Nostalgic Journal, a podcast dedicated to looking back at some of the things that I've enjoyed in my youth and trying to figure out why. The original Inspector Gadget ran for two seasons with 86 episodes, from 1982 to 1986, developed by Deke Entertainment and animated in Tokyo, Japan by studio Tokyo Movie Sinsha. The original idea for Inspector Gadget came from Hayward, who also wrote the pilot alongside Shallowpin in 1982. Interestingly enough, the creation of this show came about after production of the series Lupin the Eighth was halted due to mysterious circumstances. The show was supposed to be a spin-off of the Lupin the Third series, a manga and anime created by Monkey Punch. There's speculation that the halt in production was due to the fact that the estate of the original creator, Maurice LeBlanc, put a stop to it. Why? Well, that's anyone's guess, to be honest. LeBlanc originally created the character Arsene Lupin in a series of short stories back in the 1900s. After this setback, Hayward worked with Deke Entertainment to create a new show from the ground up. He referred to his experience from working at Hanna-Barbera, namely on a cartoon called Dynamut, Dog Wonder. Not surprisingly, Get Smart and the Six Billion Dollar Man were also looked at for inspiration. Soon after, they created the concept and design for Inspector Gadget. However, when production began, things were a bit complicated. In Gadget's original design, they had his back opening up to reveal gadgets, he had patches on his shins that would open up to reveal even more gadgets, and well... The design proved to be troublesome for the production team, as they found that the design was weird and difficult to work with. Not to mention it probably looked a mighty bit nightmarish, to be honest. It was decided that a redesign was necessary. Upon the decision of sticking to a more simple and compact design, it was decided that the inspector would have many gadgets on his fingers. Uh, for instance, one hand could be used as a phone uh, with a thumb having an antenna sticking out, and then the pinky having a little bit of a receiver, you know, like the hand forming into a phone sort of thing. And then other fingers would be able to have the tip removed to reveal gadgets, like one revealing a flashlight, a skeleton key, a laser, a screwdriver, a police whistle, and even a squirt gun. 
Yes, a squirt gun. You know, because <laughs> it's a kid's show. Gadget went through approximately 350 designs before finally having settled with the one that we're familiar with today. Well, more like 351. After the first episode aired, Deke received a letter from MGM demanding that the character be changed because the resemblance was too close to the character Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther movies. That's right, Inspector Gadget originally sported a thick and bushy mustache. Of course, after the letter, Gadget quickly lost the said mustache, and as of the second episode, has been clean-shaven ever since. Then, of course, came the casting of Inspector Gadget's voice. At first, Jesse White, the original Maytag repairman, was tapped to voice the character. However, the production team didn't feel that his voice really fit the character, so they turned to Gary Owens. They got as far as having him record the lines for the entire pilot episode, The Winter Olympics. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's the top secret gadget phone. Is that you, Chief? You're where? Sorry to interrupt your vacation, Gadget, but, uh... Take all precautions, Dr. Claw, in Winterland. This message will self-destruct. Don't worry, Chief. I'm always on duty. <laughs> yes. Yes, <sir. laughs> However, it was Don Adams who was ultimately chosen to portray the Myriad Inspector. And as much as I like and respect Gary Owens as a voice actor, I think Don embodies the character rather perfectly, if I do say so myself. Joining Adams were Cree Summer in her very first voice acting role, who voiced Penny until the second season, being replaced with Holly Berger afterwards. Frank Welker provided the voice of Dr. Claw and Mad Cat along with other various voices, and Dan Hennessy, who played Chief Quimby until the second season. The show was mainly broadcasted in both France and the United States, since Deke was originally based in France. Interestingly enough, the theme song for France was a little different from what we got in the States. <laughs> well, who knew that the French one would have more lyrics? Speaking of differences, Season 1 of Inspector Gadget offered little change to the established formula. Matt has an insidious scheme and Gadget is called upon to help stop it, while Penny and Brain work in the shadows to help the Inspector and end up helping him save the day. In Season 2, that's when things started to change. The production for the show was moved from Nelvana, Toronto to Deke's new headquarters in Los Angeles. This resulted in the voice cast being shuffled around with the exception of Don Adams and Frank Welker. The music of the show is part of its appeal and charm. Back when Haim Saban and Shuki Levy worked closely together in producing children's cartoons, Levy composed music for some pretty popular cartoons at that time. Along with Inspector Gadget, he composed music for The Real Ghostbusters, The New Adventures of He-Man, Heathcliff, The Super Mario Brothers Super Show, Captain N the Game Master, Samurai Pizza Cats, Robocop the Animated Series because that needed a cartoon, Dennis the Menace, and so much more. Fun fact, Gadget made a cameo on Heathcliff and so did Heathcliff on Inspector Gadget. Why? I don't know, <laughs> just cause it was the 80s, it was a different time. Though it was the theme song that got stuck in our heads. This was further hammered in since a lot of the music cues contained that distinct melody. 
The theme song is considered as one of the most iconic for any cartoon recognized on a global scale. In her book, Robot Takeover, 100 Iconic Robots of Myth, Popular Culture, and Real Life, Scissor Sisters singer Anna Matronics says just as much. Also noting that copies of the original TV soundtrack had become extremely rare since its release. And she isn't exaggerating either. Uh, let me put it this way. I'm personally a connoisseur of nostalgic music. I spent years on top of years searching for music from theme songs to background music of some of my favorite shows. And I'm not talking YouTube recordings here. I'm talking original master tracks from very limited LPs and other sources of the like. Don't believe me? So when I say that I agree with Anna Matronics on the rarity of the Inspector Gadget soundtrack, you can take that to the bank and cash it in. Big time. The soundtrack in question was released in 1983 as a vinyl record. It served to accompany the release of the show and it featured some of the key background music along with lyrical songs. They're in French, so I have yet to figure out what they're saying, but <laughs> it's not too hard to guess. As of 2013, a French company known as Tele80, that's T-E-L-E-8-0, released a special edition CD that contained all of the tracks on the vinyl record, plus a bonus one containing an extended mix of the theme song. In case you were wondering, yes, I have it, and I was actually surprised at the quality of the tracks. They didn't simply lift them from the record, they sound crisp and clear. It seems like someone got their hands on the master tracks, but how? Anyway, the price is between 70 to 80 bucks, so be prepared to shell out some serious cash for it. But if you're a huge fan like me, I strongly recommend it. After the release of the 1992 special Inspector Gadget Saves Christmas, it was clear to Deke that there was still an audience for the bumbling inspector. In 1995, a spin-off series called Gadget Boy and Heather was made. More of a reboot or a retool of the series. Gadget Boy, played by Don Adams and later Maurice LaMarche, was a bionic kid detective whose personality mirrored Inspector Gadget. He was paired with a new character by the name of Agent Heather, who effectively replaced the role of Penny. New supporting characters consisted of Chief Stromboli in place of Chief Quimby, inventor Myron Dabble, and G9, who served as the brain character of the show. There was even a new supervillain for Gadget Boy to fight against. No, not a kid version of Dr. Claw. Wait, what would his name even be at that point then? Claw Boy? Dr. Claw Jr.? Claw Fun-Sized? I don't know. The new main villain was named Spydra, a masked, sixth-armed villainess who was accompanied by her henchman, Boris Mulch, and his twin brother, Humus. I don't... I guess... It's H-O-U-M-O-U-S. I forgot how to pronounce that name. As if that's really important. Fun fact, oh, they were all played by Maurice LaMarche because that man's a beast. The show ran for two seasons from 1995 to 1998. For the second season, the show was renamed Gadget Boy's Adventures in History and was retooled to feature more of a historical and educational theme. 
throwing Gadget Boy into different eras in time, and having Spydra wanting to steal important artifacts, or, you know, to try to change history, like bad guys do. This was followed by a series called Inspector Gadget's Field Trip, a show aimed to be an educational travelogue for kids, taking the viewer through many different famous cities around the world. It featured real-life footage of the places in question, while superimposing recycled footage of Inspector Gadget on top of them as he talks to the viewer. Don Adams returned to voice Inspector Gadget, and the show ran for 26 episodes from 1996 to 1998. In 1999, Walt Disney Pictures released a live-action feature film called Inspector Gadget. The movie starred Matthew Broderick as the title character, Rupert Everett as Dr. Claw, Michelle Tettenberg as Penny, and Dabney Coleman as Chief Quimby. Interestingly enough, the film sought out to do what another film tried to do that I mentioned on this podcast, first episode, I believe. Super Mario Brothers, was it? Yeah, that was it. It tried to make a more involved story out of the source material. Admittedly, the formula of the original Inspector Gadget cartoon didn't provide much to work with as far as providing a plot for a full feature-length movie. The movie gave Inspector Gadget and Dr. Claw full civilian names and backstories. John Brown was a security guard who was gravely wounded trying to catch the killer of Brenda Bradford's father, a scientist who works at the facility that John Brown has been guarding. Brown gets gravely wounded, and Bradford helps to save his life by putting him back together as Inspector Gadget. Sanford Skolex, whom assumes the alias Dr. Claw after his hand gets smashed by a bowling ball, go figure, serves as the movie's main villain, manipulating Brenda and trying to discredit Inspector Gadget. The film met with minor success, with moviegoers and critics considering it a lot of fluff and filler. I personally liked it. Matthew Broderick came off as a genuine guy trying to do some good, albeit being laughed at and regarded as a joke by the law enforcement community. Rupert Everett did a great job portraying a more smarmy, smooth, and detestable Dr. Claw, who doubles as an entrepreneur bent on taking over the world. Dabney Coleman's more cynical and dismissive behavior as Chief Quimby was pretty fun, too. And a fun fact, in the movie, Chief Quimby's full name is Frank Quimby III. Though I do have one complaint about the movie itself, and it's a weird one. In the movie, they make Gadget, or John Brown, say Wowzer, instead of Wowzers, with the S at the end, Wowzer. You know, I just found it really weird and it always really bothered me. I mean, what happened? Was it just an uncorrected typo in the script? A copyright thing? What? Why just not say wowzers? That always bugged me. To coincide with the new film's release, a direct-to-video movie was made called Inspector Gadget, Gadget's Greatest Gadgets. It was a clip show type movie that featured a selection of past episodes that were introduced as flashbacks by Inspector Gadget, using stock footage. This marked the first time Maurice LaMarche took on the role of Inspector Gadget for an entire project, with Chris Summer and Frank Welker returning to voice Penny and Dr. Claw for the host segments, respectively. In 2002, the original creators of the series reunited to create a new series called Gadget and the Gadgetinis. Hmm, weird name, I know. The series served as a continuation of the original, with Gadget being promoted to the rank of lieutenant, and serving in an elite peacekeeping group called the World Organization of Megapowers, or WOMP for short. 
The series brought back Penny and added two new characters named Fidget and Digit that were basically just mini versions of Inspector Gadget. It colored in one specific color. I think one was blue and one was orange. Brain and Chief Quimby were absent from this series, but they do make cameo appearances with entire episodes dedicated to them. In fact, it's revealed that Brain had effectively retired since all the escapades from the original series reduced him to a nervous wreck, suffering from a nervous breakdown anytime someone even uttered the word gadget. Dr. Claw is once again the main villain, and the formula works similar to the original, albeit with a bigger budget and a different animation team. Fun Fact the American theme song was once again different from the French one, and this time I liked the French one better. This also marked the first time that Don Adams declined to reprise his role as Inspector Gadget for a major series. In an interview with Nerdist.com, Maurice LaMarche noted that Adams really liked his impersonation of him. LaMarche up until this point had been approached to cover for Adams on a couple of occasions and played Gadget on smaller projects, for example, a live-action appearance as, as Inspector Gadget on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. That was actually kind of funny. At this point, Adams was happily retired. His voice was a bit strained and quavering a bit due to his age. Upon being approached about the new series, Adams said, and I quote, I'm retired. Let Moe do it. Moe does be better than I do, end quote. Which is mighty high praise coming from such a veteran actor. From that point on, Maurice LaMarche became the go-to voice for Inspector Gadget, adding to his long, impressive voiceover resume. Don Adams enjoyed his retirement until his passing on September 25, 2005. Later in 2002, Deke released a full-length animated film called Inspector Gadget's Last Case. The movie used the same animation style as Gadget and the Gadgetinis and featured a plot involving Gadget getting rid of his faithful but aging Gadgetmobile and Dr. Claw using a rival crime fighter to discredit and cost Gadget his badge. In 2003, Disney released a live-action movie called Inspector Gadget 2, or IG2, alternatively. Despite the 2 in the title, the movie has nothing to do with the first one. In fact, it was entirely recast and was rewritten to be more faithful to the original cartoon series. French Stewart plays Inspector Gadget while Caitlin Wax plays Penny. D.L. Hughley, who played the, the Gadgetmobile in the first one, is the only one returning. And we don't ever reference Brenda, ever. <laughs> that and Dr. Claw being captured at the end of the first movie are the only real loose connections to the first one, but not really. I mean, they just sort of disregard everything. The movie involves Inspector Gadget dealing with glitches with his gadgets, try saying that five times fast, and being rendered obsolete by a completely robotic crime fighter named G2, played by Elaine Hendricks. Gadget in this iteration is played just like his animated counterpart, with some meaningful moments between Penny and showcasing Gadget's love for crime fighting. I enjoyed this one as well. It was a fun movie with great performances and was pretty faithful to the source material. In 2005, Inspector Gadget's biggest caper ever was released, using 3D animation for, I believe, the first time. In this movie, Gadget was returned to his position as police inspector in Metro City, with Penny, Brain, and Chief Quimby returning as major characters. The plot involves Dr. Claw breaking out of jail and hiring a special agent named Bomba Boy. Bomba Boy. Bum, 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 pff, I don't know, to obtain a pterodactyl and getting revenge on his captors. 
It's worth noting that this movie changes the characters drastically. I mean, Gadget is portrayed to be more of a stupid and oblivious character, more so than usual, except now he doesn't have his luck that he had in the original series, that he would always save the day. Penny is portrayed more of a selfish character, and it kind of felt weird, and the animation also looked a bit... Uh, how can I put this delicately? Terrible. It's hard to describe, but it just wasn't pleasant to look at, no matter what angle you tried. And it, it, I don't know if it was the character models or what, but even as a diehard Inspector Gadget fan, I didn't enjoy this one. The movie was supposed to be the first in the line of 3D animated Inspector Gadget films, but due to the low sales and reception, the plans on future projects was abandoned. In 2015, a new Canadian-American CGI animated show was produced simply titled Inspector Gadget. The show serves as both a reboot and a sequel to the original series with a handful of throwbacks. Inspector Gadget, keeping his rank of inspector again, gets called out of retirement when Dr. Claw is thawed out of an iceberg after being trapped for an undisclosed amount of time and reactivates MAD. Gadget is tasked with foiling Dr. Claw's plans once again, and needless to say, compared to the last CGI attempt, this one was much more stylized and much more enjoyable to look at. A funny thing I've also noticed is that sometimes Gadget has his, a jetpack pop out of his back, harking back to when you know Gadget's original concept design was still up in the air and had things protruding out of his body. It, I, I, I don't know if that's a throwback or not, but that was kind of a funny thing to see. Thankfully, it's pulled off quite well and looks better than it sounds. Or at least better than what I just made it sound like. In this version, Penny and Brain now work with Inspector Gadget on his missions. Gadget is still as unintelligible, gullible, and clueless and incompetent as before, though he has a bit more of an ego this time around. This marks the first time that Inspector Gadget is voiced by someone completely different, someone other than Maurice LaMarche and Don Adams for a big project. He's voiced by Ivan Sherry. Penny in this series is an agent in training. She's brave, clever, and more than willing to fight villains. Her computer book and watch are replaced with a holographic tablet called the Codex. She does have a bit of a weakness, though, which is her crush on Talon, a mad agent, which I'll go, which I'll go into shortly. Brain's role is just like the original, helping both Gadget and Penny, and is a bit of a master of disguise. Chief Quimby is now the leader of HQ. Yeah, yeah, as far as I know, the agency doesn't really have a name or uh, a founding purpose other than stopping bad guys, namely Dr. Claw. <laughs> He's the one that gives Gadget and Penny their assignments, which is usually a hologram, which takes the place of the exploding mission letter that was featured in the original series. 
But yes, it still explodes in his face or in his mouth or somewhere around his proximity. True to his character from the original series, he also seems to pop up in the most interesting places. Dr. Claw is portrayed to be a little less sinister than his previous incarnations, almost like a Golden Age comic book villain this time. Nevertheless, he still aims to take over the world and destroy Inspector Gadget. This time around, he's voiced by Martin Roach. One of the newer characters to be introduced in this series is Talon, who I mentioned earlier. He turns out to be none other than Dr. Claw's own nephew. He's portrayed as handsome, clever, and manipulative, often using Penny's crush on him to his advantage, though he himself has one on her, so haha, shenanigans. He's one of the few mad agents who realizes that it's Penny who's doing a lot of the foiling opposed to Gadget himself, but Dr. Claw is of course oblivious to this fact. He's often mistreated by his uncle despite his attempts to impress him. I think the main criticism I have of this show would be Inspector Gadget's voice, but I, I don't think that's a fair criticism, honestly. In my opinion, as a voice actor myself, I think that other actors should be allowed to give their own spin on established characters. To give the character new life, especially when we don't have an opportunity to work with that original actor anymore. Ivan Sherry does a very good job giving us a new voice of Inspector Gadget while giving us the same candence and same personality that we're used to. A lot of the folks on the web are pretty hard on this series, citing the theme song, the voices, and the new setting as ruining the franchise. Personally, I think it's fine. And much like any new spin on a classic series, most older fans are quick to reject anything new. All I can say is give it a chance! I mean, I like it, and I've been watching since, you know, I was knee-high to Torlini. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Come on, there's no reason to spoil the fun for the rest of us just because you don't happen to like something. All in all, the Inspector Gadget franchise has spanned well over three decades since its initial debut. It's a show that has stood the test of time, and one that offers a surprising number of different incarnations on both the big and small screens each one having its own distinct style and charm. <laughs> I, I actually still watch a lot of the different shows that I've mentioned here to this very day, and I'm actually working my way through the newest Inspector Gadget on Netflix. Now, if you do watch it, though, you might find yourself rolling your eyes at times, but you have to keep in mind, unlike the newest season of Samurai Jack that has been geared towards now grown-up audiences, Inspector Gadget is a kid's show for kids. However, it does have a few things that longtime fans can recognize and appreciate. Go easy on it, will ya? It's a decent show with a great cast. But hey, that's just another entry in my nostalgic journal.
If you have any suggestions on what I should cover in my next episode, or if you have any input whatsoever, drop it in a review on iTunes. You can also drop me a line on my Twitter, at Knickerbocker, that's at N-I-C-K-B-O-C-K-E-R. The Nostalgic Journal's theme is by Hugo Kant. This has been a production of Grandstand Radio. Thanks for listening.